Amen and amen. We look this morning at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to look beginning in verse 17. It says, But Jesus answered them, My father is working, and until now I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He who does, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself. So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is truth. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has borne witness himself about me. His voice you have not heard, his form you have not seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. 
but you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? As we come this morning and we have our prayer time uh, together, uh, one of the things I need to let you know about is that we have uh, some change that's coming in the life of our church. A few weeks ago, Billy Mount uh, shared with the youth uh, that he was going to be stepping down as a youth minister. Uh, the reason for that is just Billy is having to work out of town more and more. He has another long hitch that's coming that's going to be putting him out of town, and he just can't continue to do the work. And uh, when he gets back in town, he's got to spend time with his family. And so we understand that. The good news uh, about that is that Billy's going to stay in his family. are going to stay in the life of our church. They're going to still be part of the life of our church. Uh, it's just he's not going to be able to continue to serve in that place. And so one of the things that we pray for is this morning that we give thanks for Billy's ministry in the life of the church. Uh, he's going to be in that position for, uh, I think, till the middle of February. So we have a little bit of time there. He's still with us if you see him today. Uh, it's all good. Uh, it's just different shifts that need to happen in our lives. But we're going to pray uh, uh, for our church as we begin to think about that next uh, phase in the life of our youth ministry. So that's one of the things that we're going to be praying about uh, today. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house. Uh, Lord, on days like today, whether it be the weather, Lord, whether it be some of the sickness that's around us, uh, Lord, we are extra grateful for our ability to come and to be here and to be in your house and to lift your name up and to be encouraged by the people around us and, Lord, to hear your word and to just be part of the family of God in person this morning. And so we thank you for that. Lord, at the same time, we do take some moments this morning to just continue to pray uh, for the virus that continues to be present again in our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd be with the people that we know and that we love that are part of our congregation this morning and that are home today because of the virus. Lord, I pray that you would protect them. We pray that you'd look after them. Lord, we pray that you'd be with them as they uh, isolate so that they, they don't spread it to people that they love and that they care about. Lord, we just pray that you would encourage them in these days as well. Lord, we do pray that you'd be with our church family. Lord, I pray... Lord, I pray that you'd be with several families in the life of our church that have experienced loss in this week. Lord, I pray that you would just encourage them and renew them and refresh them. Lord, I pray that you'd be with them as they continue to grieve. Lord, just because a funeral service is over uh, does not mean that that grief has ended, but in many ways it's just begun. Lord, I thank you for the grief share ministry that will be beginning uh, tomorrow night. Lord, I pray that you would use that kind of ministry, Lord, official in the life of our church and unofficial, that we're the kind of church that walks with people in grief. Lord, I pray that you'd be in that part of our church. And then, Lord, we do pray that you'd be with the next phase for our youth ministry. Lord, we thank you for Billy's uh, ministry and his leadership and his love and his care for those young people. Lord, we thank you for the way that he's invested himself into them. Lord, we thank you for the health in which he leaves that part of the life of our church. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd be with him as he uh, reorders some things in life, Lord, so that it's good and right for him and for his family. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we begin the process of adding another minister into the life of our church. 
Lord, that they would build up this congregation and that they would encourage this congregation and they would invest not just into the next generation of our church, but into this current generation. Lord, the folks that are here right now, Lord, that you would be building them up as they live out their life on their campuses and wherever they are uh, in these days. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. As we turn to John chapter 5 this morning, we look at the back half uh, of the chapter. Uh, today is the last weekend of the NFL football season. One of the things that is, I don't know whether I'd call it to unique about uh, the NFL teams and all that, is that at the end of this weekend, 32 coaches are going to have to stand in front of a bunch of reporters and they're going to have to answer all kinds of questions and they're going to have to go play by play almost through the game and say, now coach, why did you do what you did? What were you thinking when, when, you, when you called that play? And sometimes the play worked, sometimes the play didn't work. But they've got to stand there and they've got to explain the back, what was in their mind when they made those decisions. I remember when uh, they first started to release movies that had what they would call the director's commentary. Now, I don't listen to those all of the time, but I always found those fascinating when I began to watch a couple of those because you could watch the movie on, on one level and then over the movie, the director would be telling you, now this is the reason why we shot the film in this way and this is the reason why the camera angle was here and this is the reason why we chose this actor or actress in this place and here's a place where we, we kind of adjusted the script and here's a change that we made. It was fascinating to learn, here's the action and then here's the explanation for why they did that action. One of the things that we're going to see in the Gospel of John is that there is a uniqueness to the way that John unfolds the whole story of Jesus in that we are going to interact between action and then explanation. In fact, if you're reading through John and you have one of your John journals that you've been working your way through, you're going to be seeing that as we go, that there will be a moment of a, of a miracle or a healing or some kind of narrative interaction, and then what you're going to see is about a page, page and a half of red letters where Jesus explains, now here's what I did but I want you to make sure that you understand why I did it. That that's different than the other Gospels. John is the one that really gives us this action and interaction, this action and then explanation. And we're going to see that in the passage this morning. But one of the things that I want you to know, one of the good, the pieces of good news that I want you to hear and feel and experience this morning, that the good news is that Jesus is not, you're going to like this, this is really great, Jesus is not constrained by the limits of my mind, my experience, or my imagination. And so Jesus is going to explain some things to us, but what we're going to see is that he is in no way limited by what I can think, what I've experienced firsthand, or even what I can imagine. Now, we have to remember the context of where we are here in John chapter 5. This is right on the heels, and we overlapped a few verses from last week. This is right on the heels from when Jesus healed the lame man who was standing or sitting by the, the pool waiting to be healed. And remember, there was this whole conversation about who did it, and, and he didn't know who it was, and then he pointed Jesus out, and the religious leaders got really, really mad because Jesus had performed this miracle 
gasp on the Sabbath and had told this man to pick up his mat and to go home. And it was on the Sabbath that he had done this. And what unfolds here is that Jesus says, listen, if that bothers you, <laughs> wait till you get a load of this. And the whole rest of the chapter is saying, listen, if that was a problem, you're really going to struggle with the rest of the things that are true. In fact, what we find out here in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus brings shocking claims. In fact, this whole second part here, you have to understand, was stunning to the people who heard it. Now, to give us a little bit of context on this, I want to back up just a little bit, and I want to back up to the story of Moses. You remember Moses is the, the leader who, who led the people out of Egypt. They were on their way to the promised land, but in the middle of the promised land, they had to wander through the wilderness, and they ended up wandering through the wilderness much longer than they needed to. And there's a key moment in Moses' life when, in the, when the people need water, and God says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to speak to this rock, and I want you to speak to this rock, and the water is going to come out. Now, the context of this is that the people were whining and moaning and complaining, and they, they had these things that they would say is, oh, Moses, I wish that we were, you would have left us in Egypt so that we could have died in Egypt. And then they would just kind of whine and complain about this. And, and Moses got tired of hearing this complaining. But God is going to provide once again because that's what God does. And so he says, Moses, speak to the rock, and then you'll have water for everybody in this place. But Moses, in his anger... He takes his staff and he hits the rock, which is different than what God told him to do. But I think that the real problem for Moses is when he stands up in front of the people and says, how long do God and I have to put up with you? How long do we have to put up with you? Because what Moses did in this moment, he says, the world can be divided into two different groups of people. There's all of you all, and there's me and God. No. Whenever you put, if you all want to divide the world, there is all of us. And way beyond our vision is God. And Moses made this incredible error, theological pride, arrogance, that tried to put himself with God and everybody else over there. It cost Moses the entrance into the promised land. God says, no, that, that's, that, that, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to go in there. Moses learns that lesson. In fact, when he rewrites the law and he's represented the law in Deuteronomy, one of the things he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, he says, the Lord your God is one. <laughs> it's not we. It's one that is different and separated and set aside from every other person who has ever lived. And then comes Jesus. And Jesus says, my father is working, and now I am working. And now comes Jesus, and he begins to say that the father can give life. 
I give life. Everything that the Father is doing, I am doing. And you can see the reaction of the religious leaders and probably a lot of other people. They said, that is not what he just said, is it? He did not just draw the circle and say, it's all of you and me and God the Father. But that is what Jesus said. That's exactly what Jesus said. Now, the difference here is that when Moses said it, it wasn't true. But when Jesus says it, it is the truth. And it is stunning, and it is shocking, and it is mind-blowing that Jesus says, listen, everything that you see the Father doing, that's what I'm doing. And everything that I'm doing is the same thing that the Father is doing. And he says, if you like what the Father does, then you have to like what I do. And if you like what I do, then you like what the Father does. But here's what you can't do. You can't like the Father and dislike me. Because we're the same. And in fact, he unpacks this in the middle section of this chapter where where he talks about the fact that they have the same agenda. They have the same to-do list. Whatever you see the Father doing, that's what I'm doing. Whatever I'm doing is the same thing that the Father wants to do. Amazingly, he says, you know that the Father is the source of life. And life comes from the Father. He says, but you know what? I too have the ability to give life. He says, the Father and I are the same. And in fact, he says that we have the same honor. In fact, he says that the Father does not judge because he's given judgment to the Son in order that the Son may receive his proper honor. Now, I want you to hear that because it gives some context to the reason why we see in the Gospel of John and we see in all the other Gospels that there is so much animosity to Jesus for the things that he says and the things that he does. It is a bold thing for Jesus to say, me and the Father, we have the same agenda, the same power, the same honor. And in time, he's going to reveal we are the same. We have the same titles. We have the same name. We are the same. And so one of the reasons why I want to emphasize that for you this morning is because I need you to understand that context of why there's so much animosity. But at the same time, I don't want you to just see that through the lens of history and biblical interpretation. I want to use this as an opportunity to remind you that Jesus continues to make dramatic and shocking claims and demands on our life. I think sometimes we, we, we've softened Jesus and we've cleaned Jesus so much up that we can just add Jesus to any part of our life and it, and it just kind of fits in with everything else when the reality is that when Jesus shows up and reveals the fullness of who he is, it is dramatic, it is shocking, and it rearranges everything that we are. Jesus still makes dramatic, shocking claims and demands on our life. I would say to you that some of those ways today is that there is a dramatic, shocking claim that Jesus says that he is resurrected and alive today. Really? He died and then he rose again? Yes. 
He died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and that same Jesus that we read about on the pages of Scripture is alive and present today? Yes. It is shocking. It is dramatic. It tells us, in terms of the claims of Jesus, is that there is one way to the Father. He's going to tell us several chapters later in the Gospel of John here, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Let me tell you, that is one of the most dramatic, shocking, out-of-sync statements that anyone ever makes in our culture today, that there's one way to know God, and it's through Jesus. And in the same way that the people of Jesus' day would say, he didn't just say that, did he? He did. It may be shocking, it may be surprising, it may be out of sync with what everybody else says, but it is true. Jesus on this day, continues to claim that he has authority over our lives. That the Jesus of the Word of God says, listen, if you follow me, then you need to rearrange your life and you need to redirect your steps. And there are some things that you're supposed to do that you don't want to do, and there are some things that you're supposed to do that you're not supposed to do, because following me is following under the authority of your Master, your Savior, and your Lord. Jesus continues to make dramatic, shocking claims on our life. And if there aren't times when we stand back and say, whoa, did he really say that? Then maybe we're not listening as carefully as we want to or need to. Maybe sometimes we've tuned out some of the hard things that Jesus, the demanding things, the shocking things that Jesus says to us. Jesus makes dramatic, shocking claims. He is God. He has authority. He is the only way. He is alive today. Don't let those statements be softened in your heart or in your mind. Jesus brings shocking claims. I would also tell you that Jesus brings... Jesus brings a parade of witnesses. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is pretty clear about this. He says, I've just told you that the Father and I are, the one, are one. He just told I, I give life. He gives life. He, he, he brings all of these statements of the things, the shared power and authority that he has with the Father. But he says, listen, let's be true. Anybody can stand up and make a claim. I can tell you that I'm seven feet tall. Maybe on the platform. So this is what the life of Shaq looks like all the time. Uh, I can tell you anything. I can make a claim for myself. But man, don't just believe someone because they tell you something. And so Jesus says, it's not just my word that does this. He says, but I bring to you witnesses that agree with my statement. Now, he knows that what he's saying is dramatic. He knows that what he's saying is shocking. He knows that he didn't just say that, did he? That, that's unbelievable. He can't, that, that, that's crazy for him to say that. That, that that's, that's impossible. He says, but let me show you. There are witnesses. There are people who can stand here in the box and be cross-examined and agree with the statements that I've made. He says, the first one is John. John the Baptist. 
He says, in fact, several of you went and talked to John the Baptist. He was preaching. He was drawing crowds, and he was saying dramatic things, and people were really listening to him. And you went, and you asked him questions, and you tested him to make sure that he wasn't a fake, that he wasn't an imposter, that he wasn't teaching something that wasn't true, that he wasn't lining up with Scripture. You went, and you cross-examined him. And he says, you even got excited about him. He says for a while, because then, then some of what John was saying got personal, and so you kind of backed up a little bit. But you went, and you listened to John, and you recognized that John was a prophet of God. And some of you were there when John pointed to me and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This isn't just me, but the most profound prophet of your generation has looked at me and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's the witness of John. Not only is the witness of John, he says, but there's the witness of my works. I've been able to do things through the power of God that no one else has been able to do. Now, it's interesting that at this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus has performed three different miracles that are recorded. Now, the Gospel of John tells us at the end, he says, now listen, this is only scratching the surface of all the miracles that Jesus performed. But he turned water into wine. He healed a, uh, a Roman official's son. And he, he healed the lame man. But already there is enough content there that Jesus is performing works, power that is impossible for any human to do unless the power of God worked through him. It's the reason why Nicodemus came to him and said, we know that no one can do the things that you are doing unless he is from God. He says, listen, now what I've told you may be shocking in your ears, but there is the witness of John the Baptist. He says, there is the witness of the works that I have been doing. And he says, and there's the witness of God himself, the Father himself, that you will find in the Word. He says, in fact, all of the Scripture that you know speaks of me. I am the fulfillment of every word of the Old Testament. Now, Jesus does challenge them here a little bit. He says, you, you see the Word, you hear the Word, you know the Word, but you do not understand the Word. In fact, Jesus says, man, the love of God is not in you. you. You think that the Scriptures have your salvation, but you miss it because the Scriptures speak about me and you do not believe it. I will tell you that one of the great witnesses to who Jesus is, is God's Word. The Old Testament, the New Testament. But I will tell you that as Jesus speaks this and as He speaks to us, there has to be a reading that is a yielded reading. A, a reading that says, I am reading this in order to believe. Now, that's not saying that you don't bring a critical ear or eye or thought to the Scripture. But there is a profound difference between just reading through passages of Scripture and reading the Word of God saying, Spirit of God, would you reveal your truth and speak to me here? I'm ready to believe what you reveal in the Word of God. One of the things that we talk about here at our church is the power and the importance and the centrality of the Word of God. 
But we need to be reminded by Jesus' own words right here. Reading without a believing and yielded heart sometimes can cause us to miss the entire thing. You see, the very people that were angry with Jesus in this moment were probably the greatest experts on the Word of God. If there was Scripture jeopardy, that they would all be multi-day champions. But if you do not read with a yielded heart that says, Spirit of God, will you teach me? Will you rearrange my life? Then it is quite possible that you miss the power of what God wants to do inside of our lives. Jesus brings a parade of witnesses. I want to emphasize that there are still witnesses to this day that point to Jesus' work. I would tell you that, that, that I would want to add to that this morning, that there is the witness of creation. Now listen, I know that there's a lot of debate and there's a lot of folks that are, that are saying different things. But I'm going to tell you that we all came from some place. And, and I'm going to tell you that there is no better explanation than a power and authority and an intelligence put this world together. And I just don't think that you're going to find any other explanation that comes better than saying, what you see here, what's working here, what works here, what works in the galaxies, somebody put that together. And that's the witness of God. I would tell you that there is a witness of right and wrong. Now, we might not all agree on what's right and wrong, but here's what we all have. And every single person you've ever had an argument with, every single thing that you've heard people debate about, they always come to the conclusion that says, that's not right. Well, what do you mean, not right? There is the idea that's built inside of us that says there is a north star of right. And if this world is just random, there is no north star of right. Now, sometimes we don't see that north star of right the same way, and sometimes we misunderstand it, and sometimes we get it wrong. But I'm going to tell you, the fact that there is some sense that we continue to argue, that's right and that's wrong, that comes from a source outside of ourselves. That is the witness of right and wrong. There is the witness of the staying power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years People like you have been gathering in rooms like this and other kinds of rooms to study and to worship and continue to seek after the things of God. I will tell you that there is a witness of the width of the influence. I love to think about the different places around the world that as the sun comes up on this Lord's day, that are worshiping, and the only thing that we have in common with those folks is that we worship the same Jesus and the same resurrection and the same power that we have today. Let me tell you, there is a witness that probably one of the only things that can unify every inch of this globe is the encounter with Jesus Christ. There is a witness of your own personal experience where you 
have had an encounter with Jesus. And you've known it in your heart. You've known it in your mind. You, you could almost feel it in a tangible way. I, I say these things because I do want, not want you to be gullible and to believe anything. And I say these things because in some season, whether you are a new Christian or whether you are a mature Christian, every once in a while, you can have a doubt that says, am I believing the right stuff? Is, is, this, is this right? Jesus knows that. And so he gives to us a parade of witnesses that says, it's not just me. Look around you. Listen, hear, examine. This is the witnesses that verify the claims that I have made. You are not crazy to believe what you believe. You can write that down if you want to. There are witnesses that are parading that says this is true. I'll tell you this morning that Jesus also brings an offer of an amazing life. Jesus also brings an offer of an amazing life. It's a long passage of Scripture that we've looked at today, but at the heart of it is John chapter 5 and verse 24. He says, truly, truly, that means listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, hear me, hear me, hear me, has eternal life. They have eternal life, and he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the heart of the passage. Jesus says, if you will believe the one who sent me, if you will agree on these truths, he says, then you will have eternal life. Let's think about eternal life just for a moment. It is one of the attributes that Jesus says that he has the same life-giving ability that the Father has. The Father gives life, I give life. And it's really interesting when we talk about life. We, we see it in Genesis chapter 1. In the, beginning was the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then it says that all things that were created were created through him. I want you to see this life-giving power of Jesus, this eternal life. You have created life because Jesus has given you life at creation. You have the ability to live and breathe because he created you. He also brings you resurrected life because he says those who are in the graves shall live. This is talking about physical resurrection, that those who have died will rise again. And Jesus is the firstborn of that resurrection. And in Jesus, if you will believe him, you will have not only creative life, but you will have resurrected life. And in fact, he, he says you have already passed from death to life. The word passed there is a, is a geographical term. It says you were here and now you're here. The reality is that before Christ, we are already dead in our sins. We are already cursed. We are already at the end of the road. But when Christ comes into our life, we used to be dead. And we're now, resurrection has already come to us. He gives us creative life. He gives us resurrected life. And I would tell you 
that he gives us new life. He gives us new life. One of the sentences that's in this verse, this key verse, he says, if you will believe in the one who has sent him, you will have eternal life. And you will not experience judgment. Now remember, one of the things that Jesus has already said, that he has the authority and the role of judge. A few moments earlier, he says, listen, every person is going to be resurrected. They're either going to be resurrected to life or they're going to be resurrected to judgment. But listen to what he says. If you believe in the one who sent him, you will not be judged. You see, what Jesus has done is he has absorbed into himself, taken upon himself every judgment-worthy act, deed, or thought that the believer has ever committed. And he says, you are no longer subject to judgment. You have passed from death to life. If you believe in me, you will have eternal life. It's the offer of an amazing life, created, resurrected, and judgment-free new life. At the end of the passage, Jesus comes with one final statement to the people. He says, listen, having said all of this, if you think that I'm going to be the one who brings the accusation and the charges against you at the last day, you're wrong. It's not going to be me. It's going to be Moses. You're, you're an expert of Moses. You know, know the law of Moses. You have all of that in front of you. And he says the judgment is going to come not from me, but it's going to come from Moses. In other words, you're going to be responsible for what you already know. You're going to be responsible for the fact that all of the words of Moses pointed to me and you did not believe. It was there in front of you and you did not act. Now let me tell you that that's a, that's a hard word for those men and women of that day. But that's a pretty challenging word to my life too. The idea that Jesus says, you are accountable for what you know. You are accountable for what has been presented to you. And so I would say to you that if you believe in the one who sent him, you will pass from death to life and you will experience no judgment. But the truth of what Jesus also says is, if you do not believe, then you will be held accountable for what you know and what's been in front of you, and what's in front of you at this very moment. And so the call from Jesus, the call from Jesus to those men and women of his day, the call from Jesus to the men and women of this moment is now that you know, now that you've heard, will you act on that?